Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor Daryl Feemster. Well, Happy New Year for those of you that weren't here last year. Happy New Year. We're so glad you're with us and I'm excited about what God is saying. I, I, let me just tell you how I preach, how I prepare a message. Most of the time I prepare a message of how it is to me. In other words, I see it as speaking to me first. And then I think that, God, you must be wanting to say this to other people because I don't want to be miserable by myself. <clears throat> but actually, I'm more encouraged and I'm more excited today than, than I've been in a long time just because of what God is doing in my heart and saying to me. And, and I got a strange word this year. Usually I ask the Lord, a Lord for a word for the new year. And, and the word that I got this year didn't immediately make sense to me. The word was recalibrate. Recalibrate. Now, recalibrate, as far as I know, is not a biblical word, but, but it is a biblical principle. To recalibrate means to re-examine and adjust or make corrections to the standard by which something is measured. Well, what would the standard for a believer be? Well, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the target, is the zero, it is the bullseye. He, to recalibrate, would be to recalibrate or readjust or correct, make corrections in our life that would adjust our whole life to Jesus Christ. And so last week we started talking about Philippians 3, and I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, at New Year's, and how I got there is at New Year's usually you hear uh, these verses, it's uh, verses 13 and 14 in Philippians 3, it says, This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, wouldn't you be, aren't you glad to forget 2020 and 2021? Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press, I lean into the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The prize for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's a great calibration point. A target. The prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the goal, the standard, the true center. What does that look like? What does that prize look like? Well, I believe the prize is the person of Jesus Christ. I want to make a statement that's going to be on the screen, but I want you to see this, so I hope by the end of this you will, you will come to believe it for yourself. Jesus is the man that God intended all men to be. And He has made the same possible for all through faith in Christ. Forget the programs and the plans and the performances that it's so easy to look to and depend upon. The reality, the way to God is Jesus Christ. It's so easy to start taking shortcuts. Let me, let me tell you what, I, I was reminded of it this week. Uh, if you've ever done any carpentry work or if you've ever built a shed or if you've ever built anything... You know, you have a tape measure and you measure out the two-by-four and you mark it and then you cut it. But if you're impatient like me, you don't take the measuring and measure out another. You just take the one that you've cut and you put it and you draw, you pencil and draw a line and then you cut the next one. Then you take the one you cut and you put it there and you draw a line and cut the next one. 
How many of you are getting this? If you do that for so long, you're going to be way off when you get through. Because every time you took what you had cut and marked it and cut it again, leaving the mark, you were adding about an eighth or a quarter of an inch to what you thought you were having. And if you do that a hundred times, anybody can do the math, help me out. You're way off. Way off. Some of my sheds look way off. See, if you really want to have a precise, you've got to either measure each one exactly or fix a jig that makes sure that they're all exactly the same. Jesus is our measurement. But listen to me. Over time and over our own tendencies to take shortcuts, we kind of draw a new line. And we cut it there, and we think that that's what. And now we, and then things go along, and we adjust that line, and we, and pretty soon we find ourselves no longer being centered on Jesus, but doing all of these things way off of what God has really intended. And we find ourselves, and let me just say it this way, in left field looking for center field. I think what God is saying to me, Daryl, it's time. I know you started with Jesus, but it's, it's time for you to quit measuring by your own experience or by your interpretation or by what works instead of measuring it by Christ. There needs to be a recalibration to Christ because we can get so far off center. Perhaps we need, last week I talked about a reset. This morning I want to talk about a refocus. On Jesus. So Philippians chapter 3. We have a chapter here of Paul expressing about how a life change came in his life. And he counted everything he thought was so important as nothing, as worthless, as absolutely worthless in order to find Christ. And I want us to go there for just a moment. But but I want to give you a background. Paul was Saul of Tarsus. And, and, and he was not always a fan of Jesus. In fact, he was an enemy You see, Paul already had it figured out. He was already a Jew from birth, a dedicated Pharisee, and he was determined to stamp out this new religion, this new cult called the Way, and the memory of this Jesus who had been crucified, who claimed to be the Messiah. And then Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul, meets the risen Jesus on the road of Damascus. How many of you know that will mess up your theology? He meets, he meets the one he thought was a, a blasphemer. And that encounter awakened him to the reality of who Jesus really is. Suddenly he saw that he is Lord, he is right. He was actually risen from the dead and he was calling upon him, Paul, to change his mind about everything. And in that encounter, he realized that the things he had been measuring himself by, his truth, his tradition, were absolutely worthless to make him what he always wanted to be, is right with God. And he suddenly saw that his only hope was Jesus. Now we pick up that, and we talked about some of that last week, but we pick up, I want you to look at verses 8 and 9 of Philippians 3. 
Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish. King James says, dung. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. I want us to look at those words this morning, not having my own righteousness, but the righteousness which is from God by faith. The key to understanding why he counted all things that he had depended on as loss, as refuse, as garbage, is because of his miscalculation of how righteousness was to be acquired with God. He had totally missed it. And I believe in our day, if we're not careful, we are totally missing it. What is righteousness? So, this word is so important to understand uh, uh, the New Testament, especially for Paul. This righteousness... Righteousness in the Greek is dikai asune. Dikai asune. It means to be right or to be acceptable to God. Now, don't you listen to me? Not just doing right, but right in a condition that's acceptable to God. There's two sides of righteousness. There's man's side which means it's living up to the standard or the condition, God's standard, not just the A standard, but the standard. It's living up to God's standard of righteousness. The God side of it is carrying out the justice or the sentence if that standard is not met. Man's side's to keep it, God's side is to judge whether it's been kept, and if it has not, to give it due penalty. Both sides are required to have righteousness. You can't have righteousness by doing the best you can. See, here's the point. That's what I want you to see. If you were to ask most people, the average person, what it takes to be right with God, the most... the most common answer is to do good. To keep the commandments if you've gone to church. To be the best you can be is the common answer. That's called, listen to me, that's called my righteousness. I'm going to do good. I'm going to do the best I can. And that will be acceptable to God. That's my righteousness. But let me just tell you something. I'm not going to stand in front of you to give an account. You're not going to be standing in front of me to give an account. And no matter what standards we put on each other, that's not the standard of righteousness. The standard of righteousness is what God has put. And that standard of righteousness is, God said, be you holy as I'm holy. In other words, be you absolutely like me. 
That's God's standard. Well, heaven knows nobody can do that. That's the point. Man's side is to meet that standard. Why would God accept us with anything less than His standard? You see, God's side of righteousness is that He must carry out the sentence or the justice if we don't keep the standard He set. The wage of sin is death. We know the Scripture. The wage of sin is death. That means not just die when you, when you give up breath. It means to be separated from God, not just for now, but for all eternity. The wage of sin is, I can't be in God's presence. Now, you're going to get this. Not, not the wage of sins, but the wage of sin. The only way that you're going to get in God's presence is to be absolutely righteous. So let's just be honest. Man has a problem, and God has a problem. Man has a problem as he can't live up to it. God has a problem because he's going to have to dish out the penalty for man not living up to it. Our problem is, listen, modern man doesn't believe this. So look at Romans 3. I'm going to use... Paul's own words to describe what this my righteousness and God's righteousness is. Paul's own writings in Romans, in Galatians, in Ephesians, in Philippians. Paul's own words to let you see what he said when he said, not having my own righteousness, but having God's righteousness by faith in Christ Jesus. Romans 3, 10 through 12 in the New Living Translation says this. We're going to be on the screen, so if you don't, you don't want to turn to it, but here's what I recommend. Please mark the passage. And see what God's saying to you as you read it for yourself. Romans 3, 10 through 12. As Scripture says, no one is righteous. He's quoting the Old Testament. No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. I've been called that before. No one does good. Not a single one. Not even one. Verse 20. For no one can ever be made with God, right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Whew. Houston, we got a problem. But wait a minute. Paul in verse 6 of Philippians 3 says that he was blameless according to the law. Well, wait a minute. How can he be blameless according to the law... And then say, I count it all loss. Because when he was counting himself blameless, he was using the wrong measuring stick. He was using the measuring stick that had been handed down to him by tradition and by teaching and by, he had, he had done the outward. In other words, he had, he had kept the mechanical. He had done the outward trappings and the external. He, he had made the sacrifices. He had done what everybody else said was required of him. So compared to everybody else, he was blameless. A Pharisee of Pharisees. But you're not compared to everybody else. Suddenly he saw it. I'm not compared to everybody. I may be the best of all of y'all, and guess what I am? Lost. A sinner. 
unrighteous. What he had was his own righteousness. He had done the prescription. He had done everything he thought he was to do. He had substituted his own understanding, his little interpretation, his tradition, and he thought that would add up to God saying, well done. It didn't, and it doesn't. Paul saw suddenly everything that he had been counting on was useless, was excrement, it was dung, it was worthless, it was deceptive, it was needed to be thrown out, it was to be flushed, because it stuck compared to what God was offering him. How easy it is, let's just be honest, how easy it is to measure righteousness by tradition. There's a Baptist righteousness, there's a Methodist righteousness, there's a Presbyterian righteousness, there's a Catholic righteousness. You understand? And we pick and choose churches by their righteousness. And God's saying, nope, nope, nope. Why? Because He's only going to accept one righteousness. That's His. It's so easy to measure ourselves by the traditions, the others' opinions, or the teaching, the interpretations. And here you hear it all the time. If people live a good life and do all they can, that's what God demands. No, it's not. God would not be righteous. I'm not saying that He wouldn't wish He could. He can't. God can't be righteous and lower the standard. The standard must be kept, and we can't keep it. Romans 7.14 says, The trouble is not with the law, for it's spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I'm all too human, a slave to sin. God's part is He must carry out the sentence against all righteousness, all sin. And boy, am I ever proud. Paul also wrote, but God. But God. Romans three twenty one. But now the righteousness of God. Remember, we're still talking about God's righteousness. The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. It's disclosed. It's uncovered. Being witnessed to, it was in the law and the prophets, being witnessed to by the law and prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then he says in verse 24, being justified, and that word justified is being declared righteous. Declared righteous. Made righteous freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God's way of dealing with the problem of man's righteousness was not demanding something more, but providing what man could never do. What he could never attain. He became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to be in Jesus, the man. 
Jesus lived the life of perfect righteousness, fulfilling it spiritually and practically. He was without sin. He died on the cross to show the justice or the righteousness of God in God's part of dishing out the payment required for one sin. Indeed, all sin. He was buried really dead, but on the third day He was raised from the dead, revealing to all that sin had been paid for, death had been conquered, and God had been righteous. He had poured out the sentence on a man and then raised Him from the dead victorious over sin. And now, now God has the right to fully justify everyone who comes, to fully declare them righteous, everyone who comes to Jesus Christ by faith, in providing that same righteousness to all who would believe. But God's righteousness wasn't just in paying the penalty, but He provides and imparts His righteousness to everyone who believes. To me. Romans 8, 3 and 4. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. His flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh of humanity, but according to the Spirit in God's provision. I want you to understand what man does when his righteousness doesn't seem to add up is to add more to it. And so it's not good enough just to do this. You've got to do this too. You know, isn't it funny? The law... The Ten Commandments was actually ten Hebrew words. But before, before long, they'd turned ten Hebrew words into over 1,600 requirements. Cut it here. No, that didn't work. Cut it here. They couldn't keep the 1,600 commandments. But listen to me. The reason they couldn't keep the 1,600 is because they couldn't keep the ten we always wanting to be adding something else to what God's standard is. Now don't miss it because we as believers who have Jesus living in us, be careful that we're not trying to add something else to the Jesus who is our righteousness. Well, it's not just believing and, 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 and all this. It's you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do this. And every gotta moves you farther away from what's got you. I don't keep the law because it's demanded. Now I do what God wants me to do because it's provided. I don't not do these things because of how it will, I will get punishment for it. I do not do those things because God's provided something better for me. 
And if I do those things, the punishment is not from God's hands. The punishment is from the consequences of the wrong choices I've made in, in total opposition to the righteousness of Jesus who lives in me. Okay, I've got to get back. I told you this is personal. Philippians 3, 9. And to be, not, to be found in Him. And this is key. Jesus not only died for you and paying the penalty for you, He lives for you to make the provision for everything you need to live in His righteousness. Let me show it to you. Philippians 3, 9. And be found in Him. What does that mean? Paul says it in Romans 3. Excuse me, Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. Do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Now what's that saying? Paul's saying, when we think baptism, we think water baptism. And that's great, because that's a picture of what he's talking about here. Baptism means to plunge under. If you've ever known about dyeing things, dyeing material, you take like cotton. You ever seen cotton, raw cotton? You know, you have a white t-shirt. That t-shirt, if it's raw cotton, 100% cotton, it wasn't white. It was a dark, tannish, grayish, yellowish. But you know, it's put through a process. It's plunged under until it becomes something that you will buy. whole point I'm trying to make is, baptism is not just being baptized in water. Literally, when you trust Jesus Christ, God takes you, the old, my righteousness you, and because you've said no to your righteousness, He takes you and He puts you in Jesus who is absolutely righteous. And He puts Jesus in you who is absolutely righteous. Galatians 2.20 Galatians 2.20 says, it does say it, I have been crucified with Christ, now it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in this flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. In other words... I have been provided the very righteousness of Jesus Christ to make me right with God and to make me able to live it. When I trust Jesus, and here's it, it comes to me by faith, and here's what faith is. It's saying yes to God's way and saying no to my righteousness. When I do, I'm joined, enter into a mystical, mystical union with Him. I belong to Him. Everything true of Him becomes true of me in God's righteousness. His righteousness is my righteousness. Now, what are we talking about? His condition before the Father is now my condition before the Father. Well, you say, well, I'm just not living that way. That's not the point. The point is, you could be living that way. Because He's given you His righteousness. The problem is not with Him. The problem is you still keep trying to add something more to make you righteous. 
Why don't you start doing it the other way? Why don't you start confessing that you are righteous and then start living that way? You know, if you write a check for $100,000 and you don't have $100,000 in the bank, it's going to bounce big time. But if there's a million dollars in the bank and you write it for $100,000, they are not going to ask a single question. Because what you have backs up everything you write the check on. If I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, every check I write in performance in my life, He's going to back me up by His Word, by His truth, by His life. But you see, we don't see that we have a million dollars. We see we have ten dollars. And we're trying to live a million dollar life. And we wonder why we think we're bankrupt. Because all we think we have is ten dollars. This is not in my notes. (laughs) Folks, you are a trillionaire in Jesus. Everything necessary for godliness and righteousness has been provided. He lived without sin. He died for all sin. He was buried and He was raised. God declaring that that sacrifice was paid in full. You don't have to pay anymore. Now you just get to live in the newness of that life. Guess who keeps you from knowing that? The enemy keeps bringing up your past, doesn't he? He keeps bringing up your failure. He keeps bringing up what you're not doing. He keeps bringing up what you should be doing. He keeps bringing up all the things that you could have done. Lord, help us. If you get a picture of this, if you get the reality... Listen to me. This is Scripture. I'm not telling you something that's not Scripture. If you get a picture of this, if you really get it and let it rule your heart, instead of trying to make another cut, add another thing, well, this year, I'm going to do this. No, you won't. Not unless... You know what's backing you up. I want to read to you Philippians 3, 8 and 9 from the Amplified Classic Version of the Scripture. This is Paul. I count everything as lost compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth, the supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding Him more fully and clearly. For His sake, when compared to that, I've lost everything and consider it as mere rubbish refuse, drug, dregs, in order that I may win or gain Christ the Anointed One. And that I may actually be found and known as in Him, not having any self-achieved righteousness that can be called my own, based on my obedience to the law's demands, this ritualistic uprightness and supposed right standing with God thus acquired, but possessing that genuine righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, 
the anointed one. The truly right standing with God, which comes from God by saving faith. Saving faith. Faith. You know, we say faith is just believing. When we're talking about believing, it's not just about this uh, uh, mental assent to the facts of history. Yeah, I believe Jesus died. Yes, I believe He rose again. Yes, I believe that uh, He died for me. Well, la-ti-da. Let me show you a definition of faith that, that God has got me on. Faith is the confident, continuous confession of total dependence on and trust in Jesus Christ to provide the necessary requirements to be right with God in every part of my life. It's trusting Him. It's leaning, laying the whole weight of my life on the reality and the trustworthiness of what God has said He's done, what God has said is mine, and I'm going to live out of that dependence on Him who He's provided. This life I now live, I live by continually confessing my dependence on Him to be sufficient for everything He wants of me. That's faith. Let me invite you this morning. Would you just take a real look at your life? Whose righteousness are you right now depending on? What makes you think you're right with God? Well, I sure hadn't done what I ought to be doing. Guess what? Neither has anybody else. They can't. All your ideas and programs and plans for life and living, will they make you acceptable to God? I'm not talking about comparing yourself to others or lining up uh, to some teaching or, or the good works that you may have done or the money you may have given. That's your righteousness. But what you could never do, God has done for you. He's provided His righteousness in Jesus Christ, not just by His death as justice for your sin, but by His resurrected life for your ability to be alive to God, transformed forever. And all He asks is that you receive Jesus, the living Lord, and continually depend upon Him and be found in Him, known for being in Him. I want you to just take a moment to consider. This last week, who's been the focus of your Christian life? If, if I'm accurate, i got the feeling that the enemy keeps your focus on you. He keeps you focused on your sin, on your works, on your failures, on how nobody else is living according to your standards. Isn't it funny? He can deceive you about yourself and He can deceive you about others. He keeps reminding you of your promises and your ability to believe and your inability to walk it out. Perhaps it's time to take your focus off of you and off of others and put your focus on Jesus Christ Himself. Because when you trust in Christ, God is absolutely righteous to put you in Him and He in you by His Holy Spirit. And He's fully pleased with Jesus. Listen. 
If you were to be cut open this morning, God would be fully pleased with the Jesus who abides in you. He would be. Because it's not your righteousness, it's His. And you've been given that. It's been imparted to you. That's how God sees you. That's great news. That's good news. You don't have to do it all. Jesus has done it and will do it in you. I want you to stand together with me. I want to give an opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray because prayer is a confession. Prayer is a continual... I told you that faith is a continual confession. I'm going to say some words. I'm going to ask you to repeat it after me. I believe with all of my heart, if you'll make this confession before Jesus Christ, that's what Scripture teaches will be true of you. If you've never prayed a prayer to receive Jesus, I believe you'll pray this and confess this and mean it in your heart that I believe exactly what this Scripture says, that He will take you and all of your unrighteousness and put you into Christ and all of His righteousness and you will be delivered and made new. You may have been a Christian for 50 years. But let me tell you something. Everything you added to Jesus is going to fall off. And this is an opportunity for you to renew and refocus your direction on Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to, I'm going to say it and I'm just going to invite you to repeat it after me. Now please, if you don't want to do this, don't do it. I'm not trying to manipulate you into anything. I'm offering you the greatest news that's ever been given. You can have the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So here it is. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank You that You died for sin. Not for Your sin, but for mine. Thank You that You rose from the grave, alive to die no more. Not because You were powerless, and needed to be raised but because I'm powerless and I need resurrection life I have no righteousness of my own I by faith confess my absolute dependence upon Jesus Christ for God's righteousness thank you that you by your grace your righteousness, your complete acceptance with God as a man is now given to me. I receive you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The work is Jesus', is God's. The receiving is yours. Just receive it. This morning's word was was rich. There's a lot in there. It was like a New York style chocolate marble cheesecake with caramel drizzle and a heavy whipped cream on top. There's just too much there to take in all at one time. Let me encourage you this week as you walk throughout the rest of this week. Go to newcovenantlandpasses.com. Click on menu, sermons. You can listen to the audio again. You can download a PDF copy of the of of Daryl's notes it's easy he had seven main scriptures this morning how many days are in this week 
There you go. Break it down a little bit every morning. Colossians 3, 2. Keep our mind on things from above. Start your day off or close your day off. Just a little scripture. It will change your life. This will start to resonate within you and who you really are. Amen. Thank you, Daryl. That was a beautiful message. I loved it. Tonight, if you're in the 6th through the 12th grade, 6th grade through 12th grade, go over to NCC West about 4.30. Spend time with your friends. Get a lesson. Learn about God. Uh, just worship with Him, with people your own age. Uh, it is good for you to be amongst people in your peer group and with God the Father at the same time, just like we're doing here today. Uh, also, this Wednesday the 12th, our life groups will kick off. A lot, uh, women's group, men's group, our married couples group is going to meet at the Common Grounds building, the Brown House over on the west side of the campus. Uh, this Wednesday night, our potluck is soup. It's going to be good. The weather's finally come around. We can have soup again. I like it. All right. So go to, go to our website again or look in our directory that's available out in the lobby. Find a life group that speaks to you. Join that. And Friday morning at 7 a.m., if you want to get together with people and drink coffee, come do that. There's all kinds of way to gather together, and we just encourage you to do that. Let me pray real quickly uh, for not only you, but for James Welch. Uh, James and Ann usually sit over here, founding members of this congregation. James had a, a procedure at the hospital this week, came home. The procedure was a success, but he got the COVID. So... He's at home recovering. We're going to believe with him for his recovery. Uh, Jess and Joyce Sarah McCabe also at home uh, dealing with that. And a praise report before we go. Steve Roberts, uh, Steve and Phyllis, some of y'all know. Steve has uh, suffered from Parkinson's for way too long. So this week he went, put things in his brain. That's just crazy they can do that. But he came home. Phyllis said it was a better success than they even imagined it could be. So we're praising God for that. So, Father God, this morning, we believe that you are the resource for the trials that we go through. And, Father God, you are also the reason for all the triumphs that we have in our lives. So, Lord, we thank you for what's happening in Steve's life. But, Father God, we also thank you that you were there for James, Jess, and Joyce, Sarah as well. Father God, we believe that you are a God of healing and a God of amazing things. We just walk in, walk out our faith in believing for them that you will do good things. Father God, be with us this week. Bring to our remembrance the scriptures that we're here today. Lord, show us what we're to be about and who we are to be with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all for coming. Have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 